welcome back to State of Mind. I'm Grace Kingswell and I'm a nutritional therapist and lifestyle medicine advocate. And this is my podcast series all about health, mental well-being, state of mind, the environment, creating sustainable practices and finding true connection with yourself, those around you and with nature. Today I'm talking to Emmy Brunner. Emmy is a clinical psychotherapist with more than 15 years of experience focusing on women's mental health. And she's the founder of the Recover Clinic in London, which is the UK's number one private treatment centre focused on trauma, eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Throughout her career, Emmy has come to believe that the majority of mental health challenges are linked to unresolved trauma in one person's life. Emmy has discovered remarkable patterns in the ways that women are conditioned to respond to trauma and life challenges. She's devoted her life to sharing her learnings and has created an approach to the treatment of mental illness that aims to help individuals strive for holistic balance. Her unique approach focuses on the person behind the illness, not just the physical symptoms. In this episode, we're talking about the concept of self-care, as Emmy's view on it is not what your typical millennial might classify as hashtag self-care, i.e. getting a manicure, having a bath or buying yourself a new houseplant. We dive deep into Emmy's definition of self-care, trauma, and also touch on food psychology and anxiety. I learned so much from Emmy in this episode, and I really hope you do too. As ever, if you're enjoying the podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can support it. The first is by sharing the podcast to your Instagram stories and encouraging your friends to get involved and subscribe as well. The second is by leaving a review on the Apple Podcasts app, because for some strange reason, the reviews are what are crucial for the Apple Podcasts algorithm. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So I am here with Emmy. Hey, Emmy. Hey. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about all things self-care. Before we delve into all of that, I always start the podcast in the same way, which is to ask people, what was the last thing you did that positively impacted your health? My health. Mental health included? Anything you want. Any health. I think... um, Probably swimming in the sea, actually, is Amazing. a massive thing that I do. I live in Brighton and moving out of the city and moving to the seaside was a big decision, not just because of logistical things like where we were going to send our kids to school and stuff like that, but it was about actually where do I want to be every day? You know, what do I want my environment to be like? Mm. And leaving the city for somewhere a bit more peaceful and quieter and was just such a good move for like physical and mental health yeah and getting in the sea it's just something about that just letting go and no and just being with yourself and just being completely mindful for like 20 minutes or however long it is you're in the water and yeah so that's probably like the last thing I did yeah sounds like you've got the whole lifestyle thing down to a T now do you know what I think it's something like I'm constantly working and like revising like working and revising because my personal needs change you know as I'm getting Mm. older and what I need and Mm. um and how I take care of myself is changing yeah so I think I'm constantly thinking about new ways of looking after myself and yeah feeling good basically Mm. amazing so I was hoping we could just get a little bit of background on you and what it is that you do and basically the journey you've had to get to the place you're in now yeah so I'm I'm a clinician I'm a psychotherapist and 
um, being a psychotherapist is a second career for a lot of people. So a lot of people start out doing other things and then at some point decide they're going to become therapists. And I guess I did that too, but I did that at a really young age. So I became, I started my clinical training when I was like 22, which was quite young. And, um, I guess I did, I wasn't really sure how I was how my career was going to be. I remember thinking like the dream would be to have a private practice, mm. um, and then sort of cut to I'm 39 now and having a clinic of my own um, with a big team and a big staff in central London. It just wasn't something that I'd necessarily planned. It's something that's really organically evolved. Um, when I first started working in mental health, I worked at residential rehabs with people. And for me, there was something just so wrong about how people were being treated. Um, Not in so much that they were being treated badly as such. It was just more a very limited way of viewing self-care and nurturing and healing for people in my mind. So people were either following a 12-step method if they had problems with addiction. Um, They were going to talking therapies. And it was quite um, a formula for how people were treated. And there was something in me about we're human beings And we all need something slightly different. There's so many commonalities between us, but we're people with specific needs. And for me, the treatment needed to be about the person and about thinking about what their needs were and what Mm -hmm. it is that, what wounds they had that needed healing. Um, And so I set up a practice that focused specifically on that. So thinking about who's the person set in front of me Mm. and what is it that I need to do? How do I need to evolve and develop my approach in order to be able to work with that person and give them what they need? Um, And that just evolved into the clinic and we became the biggest eating disorders and trauma clinic in Europe. Um, We've been established for 15 years now. um, And for me, it still remains the same. Who's that person walking through the door rather than what is their diagnosis? I'm like, who are they? What do they like? What do they Mm. not like? And then thinking about how can we make this person better? How can we aid their journey towards healing themselves? Yeah, amazing. Talk, talking about that kind of um, concept of self-care that you mentioned, I know that you have quite a different take on what that means as an idea mm. um, in contrast to the way that the wellness world sees it, which is all about, you know, expensive manicures and yeah. getting a massage. Yeah. What what does that mean to you? I don't. I find it really bewildering that we view self-care as sort of indulging in these slightly expensive luxuries and actually Mm. for me self-care is about having a relationship with yourself where you figure out who you are and what it is that you need and then consider whether your actions the people that you choose to share your life with are meeting those needs and constantly re-evaluating that and constantly thinking about that um but not in a laborious way just in a yeah am I looking after myself kind of way Mm. and sometimes that's making sure that we're nurturing ourselves physically with movement or food and sometimes it's just making sure we're around people that make us laugh a lot or that we're making sure we're exposing ourselves to things that make us feel good and Mm. happy and in my experience like having a monthly manicure might be something that makes you feel good but quite momentarily I don't know that it's kind of spiritually hitting the spot whereas nurturing these other things these bigger life themes really do resonate um, much more deeply with us. Why do you think it is that we have all really easily and happily jumped on the self-care bandwagon? 
But do you know why? Because I think we've been promised that we can feel a bit better and so many of us don't feel very good. And we're desperate for somebody to tell us what to do to fix it. Mm. Um, and we're constantly looking outside of ourselves for the answer. So going to people to speak to people, you know, can you do this for me? Can you do that for me? And anything, anything that's going to make us feel a little bit better than mm. we do, because actually there's something lacking and there's something within us that doesn't f- quite feel right. Yeah. And nobody told us that actually it's us. We've got to look inward. We've got to fix that. Yeah. whatever that is that void yeah um and that's why i think you know a manicure doesn't quite doesn't quite it. cut it yeah no it's it's interesting that you say that because i was talking about just the same concept with a chiropractor on another podcast um uh which has just gone live and he was saying you know we none of us actually take responsibility for our health these days i mean we were talking mainly about physical health but mm. we were saying you know we go to our doctor with every tiny ailment whether that's like lower back pain or Mm. you know um fatigue or whatever and actually that's a lifestyle change Mm. that comes from us Mm. you know what we should be going to the doctor or the nhs for is acute illnesses yeah um and i think that whole idea of you know showing up for your health every day whether that's mental or physical Mm. is something that if everyone could get on board with as Mm. a nation we'd be so much healthier and so much happier yeah totally and I think we've got to be be curious about what's going on with ourselves like mentally and physically like why do I feel fatigued why do I Mm. why do I physically feel weighed down Um, and quite often what we're experiencing physically are really accurate metaphors for what's going on for us you know in our mental health spiritually Mm. you know if we're not nurturing ourselves with relationships if we're feeling lonely and isolated then we suffer from back pain we suffer with fatigue we start to feel run down we start to feel unwell and we start this kind of psyche you see it a lot with older people I think you know going to the doctors constantly with one problem after another and actually what nobody really stops to think about when they're thinking about the problems that we have with older generations taking out time of GPs is that these people are just really lonely Mm. and they haven't got anything else to focus on and you give these people purpose confidence and socialize people and suddenly their focus isn't all on you know their back aching a little bit and feeling community I guess the heart of everything community exactly and I think I think communities at the root of you know us looking after our planet better as well because if we cared about people living next door to us and maybe not littering on the street you know we would look at everything so differently yeah I think yeah heaven is as much below your feet as it is above you do you know what I mean and you know grounding ourselves to the world that we're in and nurturing it Mm. but we've been taught to have to notice and to observe all of the kind of differences between us all and we live in this such a fractured world now Mm. where everybody is different to us and we try and find comfort by aligning ourselves with one another and actually we are all seeking love and peace all of us no Mm. matter who we are no matter where we're from Um, we all want to have a positive relationship with ourselves we all want to nurture the relationships with our children Um, and those commonalities are just completely overlooked 
for, for whatever reason because we've learned to be really afraid of one another and I think it's such a problem so that concept of self-care I think is far bigger than yeah you know we're led to think when you're saying we've learned to become really afraid of each other what do you mean by that I think we become so afraid of the differences you know well, what do we do if um for example on a on a bigger scale like asylum seekers we're talking about you know lost people from devastating environments needing somewhere to be somewhere safe mm. to be and yet we feel so different we, to them we feel different but we're taught to be frightened these people are going to need jobs these people are going to need health care we're going to have to pay for it we're going to have to find their jobs we're going to have to it's going to it's going to negatively impact us in some way and actually what we've lost is these are people that just need our help and support mm. and actually love breeds love and if we are loving and kind and accepting of others then that just it's infectious love is infectious and kindness is infectious but we're not taught to think like that we're taught to be really afraid um and actually that leads us to exist in a real lack mentality where we feel as though there isn't enough for all of us yeah which really isn't the case it's really sad isn't it like yeah it's pretty sad <laughs> yeah what, what's um you know day to day in in clinic what would you say are some of the main concerns that you're seeing and I'm really interested by the whole, you know, concept of social media, which is a really new phenomena. Mm. And just as you were speaking then, I was thinking, you know, you, you know, you were saying we're afraid of differences. Mm. And do you think that we are gaining from social media in seeing that there are people around the world just like us going through what mm -hmm. we're going through? Mm -hmm. Or is it just a bigger extrapolation of that playground sentiment of, you know, needing to be exactly the same as your best friend, needing to fit in, needing to have the same clothes. Because mm. that's certainly how I grew up, like mm. really feeling like I needed to be the same as everyone else. Mm. I think uh, I think that's true for all young people in many ways, that we, we're frightened of standing out. Mm. It takes us and time. To, it takes us yeah. time and confidence to figure out who we are. You know, you spend all your young years trying to fit in and then the rest of your life trying to stand out. And I think totally. that's, that's true for so many young people. And I think... What social media for me does is it highlights to us exactly what's going on in society. So we still have those themes. We still have those themes of being competitive, comparison with other people. Um, and that's fueled by this really fear-based society that we all live in. But what we also see are communities of people trying to connect, trying mm. to build um, relationships with one another even through these forums of, of social media I think the most dangerous thing about social media really is that it gives us this illusion of of real connection because actually we're not meeting a lot of these people we're not touching a lot of these people we're not spending time with a lot of these people and yet we're feeling like we're in relationship with them and so it allows us to feel like we've got connection and relationship mm. and actually remain quite isolated and for me it's the isolation that's really at the crux of what's at the problem with all of us what we all need is to be around one another yeah and to physically share the same space and so although I think it's wonderful in many ways that social media has provided us a platform to connect with one another from different backgrounds from di and you know connect over these shared themes it still leaves us you know connecting from one bedroom from one side of the world to another and yeah and then yeah. you have that awkward moment where you don't need to ask your friend what they've been up to because you know exactly where they've just been on holiday, what outfit they're wearing, absolutely. what meal they ate. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. How, um, 
what's a good coping mechanism for that? Is it just, you know, schedule more time with your girlfriends in your diary, you know, get out there and do something, try something new one day or? Yeah, I think it depends on you. I think everybody has to be curious about what it is. They're looking at their life and thinking, what is it that's missing? What is it that I need? Mm. Um, And for me, I go through the year and I literally schedule um, dates with my best friend. That's what we do. So every month I know I'm seeing her for dinner. Every six weeks I know we get together with all our kids because she is part of my life source. Mm -hmm. Like she is part of how I thrive and survive. Um, And that's just one area of it. I make sure that I'm nurturing those relationships and I'm connecting with those people because if I don't, then something in me is going to sort of slightly distant Mm. slightly quiet and slightly darken and I'm going to find myself in not a very happy place quite Mm. quickly I should think and so I think it is about looking at your life thinking actually what do I need what really makes me feel good how often am I in nature how often am I leaving the house to be outside to actually touch the ground beneath my feet and feel really alive and humbled and grateful like how often am I doing that and making a point of doing that it's it's um shocking really that we are such primitive people still in so many ways Mm. in our physiology and how much we've evolved um that you know there's parts of our brain that still need signals from the outdoors and from nature to make us feel calm like you're saying about you know Mm. standing on the ground you know Mm. barefoot Mm. hashtag grounding even though Mm -hmm. it's you know a bit of a Mm. a hashtag is real a real scientific thing it sends a signal Mm. to your brain that says you're relaxed and you're calm and Mm. you don't feel anxious surely we're just gonna go you know we're just keeping our fast pace of moving away from all of that with all the technology that we have and everything that's, you know, keeping us indoors and at our desk chair and in front of that screen and in high heels and, you know, not in nature where we should be. Mm. I I mean, there is definitely a kind of growing momentum for kind of rewilding and connecting back to nature. But I think for the vast majority of people, they're not there yet. And Mm. I wonder how much it will affect us as a as a race going forward. I think we can already see that. I think, you know, mental health is an, you know, epidemic Epidemic. level. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Um, And we are, we're in trouble. Like we're in the midst of a spiritual moral crisis. You know, so many of us have lost our way. So many of us aren't sure what to do. And I think something about the kinds of people that I work with and I'm exposed to, and certainly my own experience is that when you hit a crisis, when things are really bad, sometimes you can find yourself in a place where you're actually forced to consider all of these themes. Um, And so I can look back on now my early days, my early recovery and feel quite grateful that I had those experiences because they forced me into a place where I had to consider these things and look at these things and think about whether my needs were being met and how I looked after myself. And for so many people, they're not necessarily in crisis. They're kind of pottering along. Right. And so it takes a lot longer or if at all, actually, for them to stop and go, who am I? Mm. What am I doing? Maybe this is my happy. For, yeah. Is this not working? Because no one's asked them. Nothing terrible has happened. They've just kind of carried on, carried on with what society expected of them, carried on with the kind of trudgery of life's events. Mm. And nobody's ever stopped them or they've never stopped to consider actually what's going on and do you think then it becomes too late like is there a point at which no I don't think it ever becomes too late but I think it's a lot harder for for people to change things once they've been kind of engaged in different responsibilities one of the lovely things I 
you know, I enjoy about working with young people is that they have that freedom to go, actually, I'm going to completely change my life. I'm going to completely change the path that I'm on because I've realised I've woken up and mm. I've realised something I didn't know before, um, which is that I'm alive, that I am deserving of love and kindness. And that's going to be how I'm going to choose to live my life right now. Mm. If you have that aha moment when you're married to somebody you discover you don't care about and you've got three kids and you're it's a lot harder you have to be a lot braver I think to to make those changes and it can be a lot more difficult so um but that's not to say it's not possible I think Mm. it's yeah it's very possible you were saying that your clinic kind of specializes in um people helping people that have had eating disorders or unhappy relationships with food Mm. why is it um, these days, in your opinion, um, that we are so obsessed with food and with, you know, eating healthily or, you know, knowing what everyone else is eating, mm. you know, watching YouTube videos about what mm. I eat in a day. Yeah. You know, why why do we care all of a sudden? I think for the same reason that we're obsessed with self-care, I think we're, we've suddenly believed or bought into that there's something outside of ourselves that could make us feel better. And for, you know, in some cases that can be true. We could be eating something that's not good for us and we change what we're eating and suddenly we start to feel better and isn't that great. But actually... I think that all physical problems manifest from our own feelings about ourselves Mm. and the belief system we have about ourselves. I think nutritionally what we eat can aid our healing. I think it can make us feel physically better, but I don't think it's the problem. Fundamentally, it's not the problem. We're not intuitive. We don't eat things that we... um, enjoy we're frightened of food we're taught to be frightened of certain foods which to me is just you know madness Mm. um um and who we are and what we intuitively want doesn't become part of how we live our lives we we're following rules all the time i should behave like this i should do that i should eat this i shouldn't Mm. eat that rather than actually tuning into what we intuitively want because actually our bodies are pretty good at making good selections yeah Absolutely. And when we stop listening, that's when we get into trouble. Mm. I actually think that whole idea of stopping listening is is, um, relatable to so many aspects of our lives these days. You know, we I think we use food to to dumb down emotions a lot of the time. Um, whether that's, you know, anxiety, you know, eating mm-hmm. to fuel that. I think, you know, we don't listen to ourselves in terms of our tiredness. Mm-hmm. You know, we set, we always set our, our alarm for 6am mm-hmm. so we can make that HIIT workout mm-hmm. and then go to work and then yeah. come home and cook the supper for the family. And mm-hmm. there's so much to be gained from actually listening to your own body. But it's like you were saying, kind of societally or socially, we it's just the norm to, mm. to kind of not engage with yourself on a daily basis and actually take the time to think, you know, how am I feeling today? What do I need? Do I need, mm. uh, am I dehydrated? Do I need yeah. to drink water? Mm. Do, I, do I need a cup of coffee? Do I need a nourishing meal? Mm. Maybe I'm not actually hungry and I don't need to eat, but oh, mm. I can't do that because mm. society frowns on me not having lunch mm. because then I look like mm. I'm, you know, not eating enough. Mm. Mm. It's just so hard. And I think for anyone battling with their mental health, it must be an absolute minefield. I think, yeah, I think for all of us, I think what you're describing is disconnection, isn't it? And I think that, you know, when we're connected to who we are and what it is that we want and need, we can respond to that, whether that's with what we're putting in our body, how we're moving our body or the, Mm. you know, the relationships that we're having. Um, But we've lost confidence. We've lost confidence in ourselves and we don't listen to ourselves enough. 
I don't know that we we even are aware that that's happening that we're not having those intimate relationships with ourselves and you know the moment you stop having an intimate relationship with yourself it's impossible to have one with anybody else Mm. um and then we start to feel really lonely whether we're in whether we've got boyfriends girlfriends husbands wives whatever we feel lonely Mm. uh, because we feel unseen and unheard and the moment we do that for ourselves the moment we start to listen and see ourselves we start to regain connection we start to feel better yeah I wanted to talk to you as well about trauma, mm-hmm. um, which I know is something that you talk a lot about, whether mm. that's at events you're speaking at or on other yeah. podcasts or in videos. Um, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, you you tend to say that a lot of everything, well, everything can lead back to, to trauma. Yeah. What is it that you're talking about when you say trauma, first of all? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think for, for so many people, and myself included, when I first heard trauma being talked about, I literally thought about, like, veterans of war, yeah, basically. Yeah, like a car crash. Yeah, or, or people who'd have been, in, like in natural disasters or something, people who'd experienced really horrific events Mm. and had to live with the aftermath of that. And what I came to sort of learn was that trauma is something that impacts all of us. And you have very overt traumas like natural disasters and wars, and then you have much more covert traumas like divorce, like um, bullying, things like this. And these have just the most massive impacts on us and how we view ourselves and how our view of ourselves is framed in the world around us. Um, And quite often we're just completely unaware of that. And so we take these kind of experiences that we've been through and we form ideas about ourselves and who we are and we create a script for ourselves about who we we are, how we see ourselves and how we're going to perform in the world. And then we go out and we seek out experiences and people that are going to confirm that belief system that we already have. Interesting. So when you find people, I don't know, dating the same person all the time, how does somebody keep dating like the same mm. versions of the same person? It's because they've they've got a script. This is what it is that they're seeking out and they go out of their way to find that person again and again and again, right. despite repeated consequences because they've got an idea about themselves that they're already invested in Mm. and they're going to keep seeking out those experiences um that are going to confirm it whether it's good or bad so it's only when you become aware and sort of wise to what it is that you're invested in that you can then either decide to keep those things because some of those might be positive or you can change them if they're not if they're Mm. not working for you wow okay so then knowing that or let's say you're in the privileged position to know that or to have discovered that about yourself Mm -hmm. what are the next steps well I think partly it's looking at if trauma isn't processed if trauma is held in the body then my belief is that it comes out one way or another whether that's in physical illness or mental illness so I think partly it's being curious about who am I what are the experiences that I've had and what's my view of myself in the world do I view myself as somebody strong confident capable of achieving things or do I have a slightly kind of watered down version of myself Mm. do I think I'll never be able to achieve that or actually I find it really difficult to meet people Mm. I find it really really hard to make connections with people or one that I was asked about on social media I get sent a lot of questions and one that I'm asked all the time is why can't I meet somebody? Yeah. Why can't I meet a person? And women particularly, I can't meet anybody. Yeah. It's like now, do you think 
that that's because you can't meet anybody? Or do you think that that's something about you? There's something going on there. Are you putting a barrier up or Absolutely. making yourself seem unavailable? Or you are unavailable, maybe. Maybe this mm. started way back when and you had an experience or an idea that gave you a view of yourself or of men or women that has then impacted you so that you've been too frightened to get into a relationship with people mm. but instead of acknowledging that or recognizing that you've just thought you find it really hard to meet people mm. so then say you then get to the stage of acknowledging and understanding and accepting yeah. that maybe this is one of your yeah. traits yeah is it is that, you know, most of the hard work or does the hard work then start? No, I think that's a huge part of it. I think as soon as we become self-aware, we start to change. We start to do things differently. Mm. But we can't do anything differently or change the direction of, of where we're going if we always do what we've always done. Mm. So as soon as we become aware, we start to go, oh, oh, oh right, I... I wouldn't have gone to that normally because I would have told myself X, Y, Z. And actually, I'm going to challenge myself because I've recognised what that's about. Right. So I'm going to go to that event now. Oh, look, there's some people here I haven't met before. And I, I think everything changes when you change, your perspective changes, or you get a bit braver. Hmm. I wouldn't have applied for that job before because I... I would have told myself I would never There's stood no a chance. chance. Yeah. And actually, I recognise that now. I recognise mm. that script now. So I'm mm. going to put myself out there. Yeah. And I think you do need to be a bit brave. I mean, I talk about bravery a lot. I think so once we've recognised the, the core beliefs that we have and how they're holding us back, we have to be brave enough to change them. Mm. Um, and bravery is a big part of it and taking a risk and allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. But when mm. that's when the magic happens. So, yeah, I think from then it's just... Yeah, you're just flying. Yeah. What aspects of our lives do you think that we could all benefit from being more brave in? Oh, relationships, I think, yeah. for me, is the big one. I think because relationships, they don't define us, but we put so much on them as definition. Like, you know, if you... Yeah. you if you're a 30 year old woman and you're not with someone yet mm. you know you're defined by that that's yeah that's true I think though that so much of it is about your relationship when I talk about relationships I don't necessarily mean romantic ones either I mean right. your relationships with everybody you have in your life including yourself you know if you're willing to be vulnerable and have intimacy in your relationships, mm. you're going to have a fulfilled existence. It's going to feel good. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that traumas can't happen and that difficult things don't um, come your way, but you're so much better equipped to deal with them when they do. Mm. And life doesn't feel so precarious. It doesn't feel all balanced on another person or another event that if those things don't quite pan out, everything's going to fall apart. Yeah. We gain this sort of internal assurance about life when we're mm. nurturing relationships. When I look at everything in my life and I feel very blessed and very grateful to have everything I have, I do know that my relationships are at the core of everything. Okay. My relationship with my husband, my children, my friends mean everything. Without them, nothing else really matters. Mm. I do know that. And yet it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when you're... when we... when one, sorry, is, you know, going through something tough or is particularly stressed or feeling low, it's often the person that you have that close relationship with, like your husband, mm. certainly in my case, mm. that bears the brunt of that. And mm -hmm. you really use them as someone to be quite spiteful to or mm -hmm. mean to, or you momentarily push them away because mm. you need them to understand how stressed you are or how this, that or the other. Mm. Um, 
which is seem you know completely contradicts the good that we could get from nurturing that relationship and using it as mm. a source of good rather than you know because why why do you think it is that we always lash out against those people that mean the most to us I think partly they're safe so I think they're we, not going to go anywhere they, yeah <laughs> I think the people that are going to get it you know uh, I know that I would have always behaved worse with the people that I'm feel most safe with. Mm-hmm. I think that's why we can be rude to our parents and yeah. if we've got positive relationships with us. them because they still love us, right? Um, but I don't think it is an inevitability. I think if we find ourselves behaving like that and pushing people away, I think it is something to look at in ourselves and go, actually, why am I finding it so difficult? And is it that we're pushing somebody away because we don't want them there and we're being spiteful? Or is it because we cannot bear somebody to witness our vulnerability? Mm. And the people that are close to us are there every day and they can see us struggling and they can see how much pain we're in and we feel extreme shame about those moments we feel real shame about being vulnerable in front of people particularly when we love them Mm. and maybe that's why we lash out not because we're taking something out on them just because we're resentful of them witnessing what we find difficult to sit with ourselves that's really interesting idea never thought about like that i think i've always just assumed that we do because you know either we see them most often or like you said they're always Mm. going to be there Mm. but that doesn't mean that we should abuse that relationship no but I think uh, you know like I said I would be just more curious about it than Mm. that I think we can go quite into a blame place as well of you know I wouldn't even call that abusing that relationship I go what you know what's happening to me in that moment Mm. what's coming up for me and being curious we're not curious about ourselves enough and our experiences we go very black and white I'm either behaving well or I'm behaving badly and actually there's a whole middle ground there yeah the last thing I wanted to ask you about before we get into the final three questions I ask all my Mm -hmm. guests um is anxiety Mm -hmm. because Either it's always been around, but we've just not spoken about it, or we are in the midst of an anxiety epidemic, but it's everywhere you look on social media, people coming out about their anxiety. It's, you know, it's even a trending hashtag, which is Mm. bizarre. Um, Do you think that we're just being more open about it? Or is it something that's kind of alarmingly increasing with, with, um, you know, occurrence, basically. I think we are being more open, but no, I think it's getting worse. I think we are we are becoming isolated as a society. Mm. We need connection as human beings. That's what we're built for. We're built to connect with other people. And when we don't do that, we become lonely, we become introverted, we become anxious. A lot of what people confuse in my mind with anxiety is fear. Right. We're actually quite frightened a lot of the time. Mm. We're frightened of losing people. We're frightened of failing. We're frightened of things missing out. And then we package this all up as I'm someone that suffers with anxiety. And I would always ask that question. Are you anxious? Are you actually just an anxious person? Is this, a, is this an illness you have that needs treating? Or are you actually just really afraid? Mm. And if you're really afraid, then maybe we can get you braver Maybe we can make you feel less afraid. And those things that you attributed to anxiety dissipate or go away altogether. It's actually you were just scared. I know we've spoken about a lot of different topics, but if you were to give listeners kind of three takeaways from Mm -hmm. what we've spoken about, whether that's kind of anxiety or fear, Mm -hmm. or what would they be? Be, um, Be curious about your journey. Think about it. Um, don't focus all of your attention on your symptoms, whether that's uh, anxiety around food, general anxiety, depression. 
they're symptoms of a problem. They're really not the problem. Be curious about what actually might be going on for you mm. and be compassionate and patient. Just give yourself time and space because if you're not going to do it, then who will? And how you treat yourself is a communication to the rest of the world about what you expect. Mm. What you and expect what you, back, you mean? Yeah, yeah, and what you expect you deserve. Mm. So if I'm if I'm treating myself in love and respect, then I'm communicating to the rest of the world that that's what I expect from them. If I'm treating myself with intolerance, impatience and unkindness, then why should the world treat me any differently? And quite often it doesn't okay. when we treat ourselves in that way. Wow. So much from that. <laughs> Amazing. Um, so before I delve into my final three questions, I think... Probably a lot of what you've said will have really touched a nerve with a lot of people. And if they want to engage with you, where can they find you? I think um, probably on social. You can go to the Recover Clinic, which is where we have our practice in central London, or you can go to emmybronner.com. But on Instagram, my Emmy Bronner official, I answer loads of Q&As or as often as yeah, I can. Yeah, you do so many videos. So, it's great. Um, and I try to get through as many questions as I can on there. So if there's something you are wanting just a quick answer to, then just send in a dm and it'll get responded to as soon as possible amazing yeah. so um what is so these three questions i ask everyone and answers are usually very varied but given your knowledge and your profession i'm really intrigued <laughs> to see what you say so if there was one thing in life that you could do again what would it be <gasps> meet my husband oh I first love night that. What yeah. did you what did you go and tell tell us about the date? He and uh, it was um I was out with my sister and uh, she introduced me to him and it was just amazing. Love love her. 100% yeah. And it was just the most wonderful thing. And I think about it sometimes and how much I would love to do that again. Just have that first moment with him. Yeah, because it's it's something I think about as well, you know, being happily married too, that you never ever can get back to that wonderful feeling of excitement Mm. and anxiousness and nerves to meet them Mm -hmm. and you know the first kiss and obviously like the stage that you're at in that in the present is fantastic too yeah yeah there's just something so exciting about those first two weeks yeah there there was (laughs) and just that moment and I I I can picture it and I'll never forget it yeah it's wonderful yeah um and what's one thing you would change if you could this is tricky I, because even the difficult things and I've experienced a lot of trauma and, um, you know, painful experiences in my life, but I recognise the gifts that they've given me. Um, I think I probably would have got braver, younger mm. and wouldn't have believed the bad stuff for Stood as long for as I did. More. Yeah, just just in my or in my own head, like recognise that there was another mm. voice there that I wasn't listening to. What age were you when you made that realisation and started turning things um, around? Yeah, probably in my early 20s, I started to figure that there was something else that maybe I didn't even believe in or have faith in, but there was a whisper of something. Mm. Um, and I realised that I had nothing left to lose by exploring it. Mm. And yeah, it would have been nice to have that earlier. Yeah. yeah. But like you say, you know, our experiences... The sum of them, you know, amount for, for who we are. Totally, uh, totally. And, you know, when I'm sat at, in the clinic and I've got a 19-year-old in front of me, I really do know exactly how, how that feels. Yeah. yeah. 
And finally, the podcast is called State of Mind. Mm -hmm. What does state of mind mean to you? I guess it just means where you're at, your state of mind, where you're at in yourself. Um, But it's not stagnant, it's like constantly changing Mm. and evolving. And I guess that's what it means to me. And do you think that we all have the power to kind of change what that state of mind is on a daily basis? I don't even think we can begin to comprehend how powerful we are in our own lives. Like I have a sense of it myself and I don't think I've even got good grasp of it with all the work I've done on myself and all the reading I've done without it. I think we are incredibly powerful and capable of like great, wonderful things. Mm. Um, And I think... Yeah, if we all got some sense of that, I think something quite magical could happen. Amazing. Yeah. Wow, this has been... I've learned so much Uh just from talking to you for this half an hour. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been lovely. Thank you so much again for tuning in to State of Mind. This season is rushing by and I still have some incredible guests lined up for you over the next weeks. If you haven't already subscribed, then please do. And if you have a spare few minutes, then tell all your mates about the podcast and leave a quick review on the podcast app. Thank you so much again and I'll chat to you next week. Bye bye.